0: Hello everyone, this is Michelle McKenzie and welcome to another episode of the WTF podcast where we discuss the challenges faced by Black entrepreneurs in the US and globally, particularly women, to access funding to grow or scale innovative ideas and demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. This season, I've been doubling down on conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, and access to funding for founders who have been traditionally underrepresented in the entrepreneurship ecosystem, and immigrant founders are a particularly underrepresented group within the funding uh, ecosystem. So Javian was, uh, who is my guest today, was kind enough, to, he had posted something on LinkedIn that I thought would be a perfect intro for this episode. And it goes, one in four and one in 10, what do these statistics mean to you? Even though immigrants make up less than 13% of the United States population, they, are, they represent about 27% of the entrepreneurial segment of the population. In the current environment where we need to build back better, it is important to tap into the creativity that drives these community members further. Developing relationships in foreign markets is one of the hardest parts of international trade. Yet immigrants already have established relationships that they can mobilize to build massive industries that can solve the supply chain problem that currently exists. And he goes to further say that in answering the question posed in the opening, one in 10 Coloradans was, born overseas, and one in four Coloradoans lives in a household with someone that was born overseas. So it is clear we are a global community. It is time we lean in further into that global worldview and showcase more of the creativity based on input from a diverse group. Today's guest is Javion Blake, Jamaican-American entrepreneur who's valorizing the bread food popular in the Caribbean and Africa and introducing it to the American palates as nature's gluten-free bread. Javion, welcome to the WTF podcast and thank you for your intro.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much, Michelle. I really appreciate it. And it sounded so better coming from me. I could hear that over and over.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're too kind. So so first of all, for the listeners, I want to say, for those of you who may not know, I'm Jamaican and Javion is the first Jamaican that I'm having on the show. So big up to you. Welcome.
1: Thank you.
0: So tell me a little bit about your background and what led you to creating um, Just Chill, your company, INI, and, you know, the meaning behind those names and why the breadfruit and what is it?
1: Uh, sure. Um, I just thought off a little bit with my background. Um so as Michelle uh, just mentioned, as you mentioned, I originally grew up in Jamaica. so I am from the western end of Jamaica, um, close to the Manfigo Bay just outside Montego Bay, the second city. Um, and I have always just been exposed to a global culture because tourism is such a big part of what Jamaica represents. Um, and so, it was always so fascinating growing up in Jamaica and you see, you get to, you know, witness people coming to visit and they're like, oh my God, this is so awesome. Like, I can't believe you live in paradise. And at the same instance, you, you know, you, you meet locals and you're like, oh my God, I can't wait to get a visa and get out of here. Um,
0: Everybody (laughs) wants to go to what we call foreign, which is I guess anything outside of Jamaica, but namely the U S UK and Canada (laughs) for a
1: lot of people. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so growing up in that, I was like, you know, how, how can you bridge? Like, how can a different perspective just makes it like the same environment, just so different? And so it's always been a bit of a question for me. How do you bridge those gaps? How do you get people local to see the value and at the same time still deliver that value to, to, to a broader audience? You know, or visitors that come to the island. Um, and for me, that was always been a question. Um, I moved to the United States um, after transferring from the University of Technology in Kingston, where I was doing an engineering undergrad, and then I moved into Montana um, and gone from. Jamaica No, that's Montana- interesting.
0: I mean, that's a major <laughs> culture shock. I went to Montana for the yeah. first time this summer. A friend, a good friend of mine, um, just yeah. got married. Um, she relocated there with her fiance, now husband, and I went for the wedding. And Montana is as different from Jamaica as you could imagine.
1: Oh, most except definitely.
0: except for the mountains.
1: That's true. That's true, and the appreciation for the outdoors. Yes, um, that, that there's a very shared relationship with just nature in general, um, and so one thing I realized when I went to Montana was just like, all of a sudden, like you know, I was just an individual, right? But because there's just a, a lack of representation from like you know, a bunch of Jamaicans or you know people of um, black origins or other country culture in general, um, you eventually become like an ambassador, right? So you you realize like the story you tell about your culture becomes a story that's learned about your culture.
0: And you have Um, to be careful when telling those stories so that it doesn't become a single story as Chimamanda Adichie likes to talk about the danger of the single story.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then I, I, I never really figured out the responsibility of doing that until, as you just mentioned, which is be careful that your story doesn't become a single story. Like understand like it's you know similar in jamaica where there's a diverse population as well um and so for me like i i started out doing things like you know i would make my birthday party would be like you know birthday party with a bunch of jamaican foods of jerk chicken and all of these things and people just come and like it would just be a fascination you know people from all over the world all my friends um who go to school with me and so that has just been ingrained in me and like you know the national food bazaar international food bazaar we would be cooking and we had a chef from um, who was in Yellowstone at the time, but he was Jamaican working in Yellowstone. Um, and so he would, like, you know, carve up the whole like melon and carve up the whole like flowers out of fruits and all of that. So, the great presentation. Um, so, that's kind of like my introduction to like realize the power of food to really tell culture. Yes.
0: Before you move on from that though, funny enough. You say that because when I was there, I brought a good friend of mine along with me because she, yeah. when she heard I was going to Montana, she was like, wow, well, I want to come because she hadn't been to Montana um, yet either. And when we were there, one of the guests at the wedding mentioned that she's a, an event planner and she's like Miss Caribbean, like all things Caribbean. She's like in the DMV yeah. area. She's like the ambassador of, of that. And we oh, met yeah. this 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 guy who said he had a, a reggae station on the Mizu um you know um, for the, the University of Missoula and so they yeah. got into talking about bringing like reggae fest to, to Missoula <laughs> and I thought it was so far-fetched and out of pocket but in a very small way you've, you've already sort of you know in your small circle been introducing people to um, Jamaican and Caribbean culture and they had these plans about like bringing in chefs and, and doing you know this yeah. festival yeah. and I'm like okay it doesn't seem so crazy after all.
1: Oh uh, no! I, I mean, reggae is 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 so universally recognized that I mean, I I've seen um reggae really artists booked to show up in in Montana, and you know it really galvanized a following. Um, people really want like Jamaica culture is very strong.
0: I mean, um, it's it's more than a culture; it's a brand, right? Exactly. And Jamaica has done a very good job of branding Jamaica, um, and it, and exporting yeah. the best of what we have in terms of our culture, um, globally. So yes, I agree with yeah.
1: that. I, I think my friends of what the tour, Jamaica Tourist Board and the Jump Pro would be very pleased with that statement. <laughs> and
0: <laughs> and they, do <laughs> yeah, sure. they, they do a
1: great job. Yeah, for sure. They do a great job. so that so, so that was like my minor intro into that space. And then, you know, a, another thing that kind of like aligned with that um was growing up in Jamaica and seeing food go to waste. I don't know what in, in me, I've always just been like an efficiency expert in a sense. Like I, I don't I don't like seeing things go to waste um and I remember like thinking like oh all these like pumpkins and fruits and stuff that gets thrown away at the market like imagine if you have especially during the
0: seasons for certain fruits right like whether it's mango season or whatever in season and there's just a proliferation of it and not enough things to do with it like going to mango walk and seeing just mangoes just putrefying on the ground because so much of it has fallen and I see that elsewhere particularly in Africa where a lot of my work is focused when I travel as well and like definitely more needs to be done to um add value and process and do more with these foods before you get into your story though this just reminds Mm -hmm. me of one year I was in Jamaica around Christmas time and we went to like a Christmas food market at RADA um the RADA site on I think Hope Road and yeah. rather mm-hmm. is Rural Agricultural mm-hmm. Development Association, I believe. If I'm, it, I think that's it. And I remember looking at the fruits and veggies and they look so beautiful because it, sometimes you have to be reminded of what these things look like in their natural state when they're not, they haven't had all these weird things <laughs> added to <Yeah>. them. And <laughs> I remember just, I couldn't stop taking pictures and I remember the sorrel just looked so pristine and the color looks so bright because oftentimes when you get here you're getting dehydrated um sorry, which yeah. is a hibiscus plant right which jamaicans used to make a drink popularly consumed yeah. during christmas time but you can drink it all year round of course mm-hmm. and in west africa they call it b and mm-hmm. everything just looks so great and i remember i ate this thing it was Oteiti apple which is Mm, uh, Jamaican apple um,
1: Apple. Mm -hmm.
0: and it was I guess what do you want to say pickled and it was sort of like in a rum sauce and I remember it was one of the best things I've ever eaten I didn't keep the container and I've been dreaming and thinking about this thing for like years now and it has been years and I was also glad to see at that fair that people had started this was years back of course Doing yeah, more yes. things with the things that we were already consuming, like making cassava chips and different things like that, where before we hadn't been making chips out of cassava. We have the Bami, of course, which is a cassava yes. byproduct, but we hadn't made cassava yeah. chips and things beyond banana chips, which are very popular in Jamaica. And if you ask me, Jamaicans make the best banana chips I've ever had. Lots of people have gotten yeah. into the planting chips business and do a fairly good job of it. But I feel like Jamaica still owns banana chips if it's going to taste yeah. good. And that just could sure. be my bias. But anyway, <laughs> I was happy to see that. And I think that's a good segue into what you are doing with breadfruit. And the yeah. last time I was there, I did see breadfruit um, chips in the supermarket and I ate it and I'm like, I must have more. So tell me about oh, nice. breadfruit and how you got into what you're doing now.
1: Yeah. So, um, it, you know, that, that, that's a great point. I think we have a, val- a lot of valuable food sources in the island. Um But sometimes it it can easily get misconstrued in terms of like, we want people to eat the food the way that we have have always been accustomed to eating them.
0: Yes. And people (laughs) are so hard at letting go and trying to do different things. And listen, there are more than one ways to prepare certain things. And Jamaicans can tend to be just very indignant about this is how it's done. But I am a fan of experimentation and innovation. So carry on.
1: Yeah, and, and and I think that's definitely what's gonna you know make us become the food leaders in in these spaces is because of experimentation and innovation. Um, and f- for me, that started off with uh, you know hosting an event. So so the breadfruit journey um, in particular started off with me hosting an event. And what's like, the
0: what's the breadfruit for people who don't know?
1: Oh, sorry. So yes, that's a that's a good way to start off. So, so breadfruit is, is uh, many times been described as a tropical potato. in um, it's not really a potato because it doesn't grow as a group, uh, as a root fruit, but it grows as a, as a, a root vegetable, but it grows as like a, a fruit in a tree, like an apple that you would pick. Now the resemblance, so breadfruit is in the, is in the mulberry family. And that also includes like jackfruit.
0: Wait, 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 wait. I did not know this. Breadfruit mm-hmm. is in the mulberry family.
1: Yes. Yes. So, mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I could see similarities to jackfruit, of course, but yeah. mulberries got me. Okay, learn new things every day. Keep on. Yeah.
1: So what the difference with like a jackfruit, a jackfruit has like this, you know, like very stringy consistency that makes it great for like, you know, um, vegan pork or something. Breadfruit on the other hand has just, is just more like about that starchy consistency, but it does have a lot of fiber as well. Um, and so the chips that we make from breadfruit, the breadfruit chips, it as many times is described as like, at flavor and texture between a plantain chip and a potato chip, because it has that crispness of a potato chip, but it has like that, you know, very tropical flavor, like it's own natural flavor, like a plantain. It's not sweet, it's more on the savory side. Um, and that's something that's cool about it because you can literally have it like a, it's a, it's a great gluten-free, grain-free superfood alternative for, you know, and, and a very low glycemic in comparison to like a potato chip or a tortilla chip. Um, and so, that's one of the reasons that really people like really like it is because it has its own natural flavor. You don't have to put a bunch of chemicals in there to give it some kind of like, you know, very ecstatic flavor. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, on the healthier side in terms of glycemic index, um, um uh, nutrient density and all that. Uh, so that's larger breadfruit. Breadfruit and in terms of size, it's about the size of my head, um, for a typical, um, breadfruit. Um,
0: so I gotta say, um, like if you're a kid yeah. growing up in Jamaica and somebody wanna insult you, they'll probably call you a breadfruit head or something like that. So he's right in that I couldn't of <laughs> the size of, of your head. But Jebion, you said a few things yeah. that I wanted to dig into before we moved on about okay. being a superfood and um, you know, you marketing it as um, gluten-free, considering mm-hmm. the gluten-free sort of marketing trend in the US and elsewhere in, in global markets and yeah. positioning this tropical fruit that's native. Well, i do not not sure where it's native to, but it's certainly found in the Caribbean and I've seen it in parts of Africa, namely in Liberia. I think I saw a breadfruit tree in, in Abidjan last time I was there in, in Cote d'Ivoire. I don't know if they eat it, don't know what they do with it. Um, for someone like you who is from the Caribbean sort of getting in the game and getting out there to valorize, um, And I guess this fruit, but, you know, oftentimes we've seen it with other things, native foods, right? Like coconut, coconut water. You know, we've been eating these things forever, pomegranate and things like that. Then it gets discovered by the global market as the next superfood. And then everybody else starts to market and promote it. And then the price gets high. And it's never usually, it's oftentimes not people who, where it comes from their culture who gets the economic benefit of being able to get on the forefront of promoting and marketing and and benefiting from those foods. So talk to me a little bit about that part of of, of you doing what you're doing with the breadfruit.
1: So that's what's great about this project. um, Because we we largely try to focus this project in on a few things. Um, the, The INI Foods by Just Chill. And by the way, INI in Jamaican terms refers to like, you know, I, myself, and then I, the inner me, in a sense, which is like, you know, one in one. So we try to like bring holisticness to the market space. Which is a Rastafarian term. Exactly. Which is a very Rastafarian term. And so we're trying to like bring that culture along with the brand as well. Um, And so. uh,
0: One more point before you go. I just want to talk about the fact that, you know. There's a subsection of Jamaican culture that have been eating vegan for a long time. If we talk about Rastafarian tradition, right? So this is yeah. not something that's new to us. No, <laughs> no. For Just sure. wanted to for put sure. that out there. So for the yeah. folks who don't know,
1: yeah. Um, and so uh, in, in 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 following on that, like a big part of so, so there are three things that there as a platform. What we try to focus on is optimizing three Ps, and the three Ps that we look at is people. Planet and profit, right? And we seek to not necessarily um, overlook either one of those for the benefit of the other as much. We try to optimize them all. And in terms of our people, we look at their people in two ways both the people who are supplying the products that we're, that we're selling on the market space and also the people that are consuming our products. And so whenever we make a decision to create a product, we, cr- we create that product and it's like, is this going to optimize people's health? Is this going to optimize people's well-being? Um, is this going to optimize people like, you know, community sense? And then also from our, um, from our supplier sense, we try to always try to engage our suppliers to ensure as best as possible that it's benefiting the local communities. And so we want to ensure that this product, so we're not really the high, vo- the, the high volume um, kind of like business that just focused on the efficiency and just like how we're going to reap out every dollar on the bottom line. We want to ensure that every product we sell somehow impact people on the ground. And so that's why even now when we are adjusting our production strategy to be able to grow and scale more efficiently, we are working with partners in Jamaica and wherever we decide to source from eventually, additionally. We want that to be a community effort where people in the community, kids can go to school from our project. You know, we want to sell our breadfruit chips and know that kids are going to school from it. We want to, uh, for example, with our packaging, we try now to get our packaging, our packaging is made from, 100, from um, recycled um, plastics. Um, and that's for us to try to like focus on the planet aspect because I was in Jamaica a few months ago and we're sitting there so on the So the ocean.
0: company is more ESG aligned.
1: Yeah. We definitely try to do our best with that. Uh, we, we definitely try to make sure our missions and our execution are aligned as best as possible with, with the ESG considerations. Um, and so that, those are some of the ways that we're, we're seeking to ensure that the people who actually do the work to get this product to market doesn't get left behind. And I myself, I'm an immigrant. I'm a Jamaican. I grew up eating breadfruit. And so like, I try to always tell that story. And so it doesn't matter what major company come along and decide to jump on this train, it doesn't get lost. Like, no, this is not something that was discovered, quote unquote, by an external factor. This is something that was developed internally by you know a group of like innovative personnel from these different regions.
0: So tell me about more about the people part and about the supply Mm -hmm. chain. How are the people at the base of the supply chain benefiting?
1: So right now, so Breadfruit. Something people don't know. So Breadfruit is one of the best um, plants in terms of like plant sustainability. So a lot of other things like um, you know cassava uh, and stuff like that, that is in, in the group category. When you actually reap those, you have to dig the root of the plant up. And so what you're doing, you're releasing carbon to the atmosphere. Um, now, whether that's like, you know, something that's study for many cassava is not the case, but when you compare that in a metric of breadfruit, you plant a breadfruit tree once, it grows in about three to five years and it produces for about 60 to 70 years every year by you just picking the fruit from the stem. Um, And it's one of the most abundantly growing fruit trees in the world. So it's one of the highest yielding fruit trees in the world. Um, And so what we try to do right now is like bring a lot of education around what the value of breadfruit is, because right now, currently, most breadfruit are a good majority of breadfruit, a good portion of breadfruit actually falls off a tree and rot. So what we're trying to do, so working with organizations like Trees That Feed, um, trees that feed provide a lot of fruit trees around the world where they plant fruit trees that, one, will help to nourish the population and, two, help to develop economic value for the local population. And so when we, when we try to like commercialize breadfruit and they can now plant trees in Jamaica or wherever we're going to be sourcing from, they have the ability to, to, to sell these fruit trees, uh, fruit, sell the fruits from these trees and actually get an income that would have otherwise just been wasted fruits on the ground. So this thing is really helping to foster growth in all aspects of the supply chain, not just necessarily on the brand side of what Justio does, but also our suppliers are ensuring that they can literally retire. If they have enough breadfruit trees, they can retire on a breadfruit tree, knowing that their breadfruit is producing every year. And also when it comes to robustness of fruit trees, breadfruit is like literally one of the best trees. Hurricane will come and blow your breadfruit tree down. And I see it in my yard growing up in Jamaica. And literally the breadfruit starts propping out the side of the tree. <laughs> you know, so it's a very robust for, the, for climate change and being able to, to provide a, a revenue stream for people who would have otherwise have, see this thing go to waste out of seasonality and we can extend the shelf life and bring it to market. It benefits everyone um, all the way in the value chain.
0: So tell sorry, tell me. So especially with, You know, there are lots of conversations around agriculture and youth not wanting to get into agriculture. You're quite youthful. I don't know how old you are, but you look youthful and you're on the agribusiness side of things. Now, on the planting and production side, is this a good value chain for young people to get into considering the benefits that you just alluded to?
1: Uh, First of all, I'd like to think I'm I'm youthful. Um, secondary to that I I think that's one of the value of this project is having the ability to tell the story from a from a youth myself um, from a youth who grew up in these communities having the ability to tell the story and show because one of the reasons why I think a lot of people avoid uh, youth avoid agricultural spaces because the stigma associated with it right like you're uneducated you're you know you can't do anything better like no I am coming in and I'm saying look I am as educated as educated gets, right? In terms of like going to school and doing all these things. Um, I am, um, you know, I did product design engineering. So like I have the professional background. Um, you know, I, 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 I dress, I would like to think I just, okay. Um, and so all of that, I'm bringing it, I'm coming in and saying like, I, if I am willing to go climb a breadfruit tree to go do some research and like pick the breadfruit and like cut up the breadfruit, peel it and test it, Starting the kitchen and you know figuring out how to make the best chips and all that to get this project started, like you can do the same thing. And then, you know, a lot of people will see the end result and see the packaging and be like, oh, the packaging is great. And that's a, a large feedback we get. The packaging is awesome. Like, this is the best packaging I've ever seen, blah, blah. But we want, I want to tell that story that it starts from climbing that breadfruit tree. It starts from picking that breadfruit tree in the, in the farm. And I think by telling that story, and as I use myself, it can help to convey that message, like, no. Agriculture is literally one of the best business you can get into. You know, tech is fancy, but tech is a facilitation tool. And if you don't have commerce and you're trying to create an e-commerce platform, all you are going to end up with is an e because there's no commerce. So if you need tech to connect people to markets in agricultural space, you need people who are providing the actual products that are going to be on these platforms. And I could have gone into tech and I could have come on design, you know, some very high tech things. But I literally you still could. natural food space, <laughs> and I and I still can right. But I, I honestly believe one of the highest value for society and one of the highest growth sector, especially in the tropical regions right now, is going to be in the natural food space because you're witnessing the democratization of the major food industry. Like people understand the value of not having you know their food with maltodextrins in it that has to keep it for a certain number of times. And having like the food come from a community that cares um, and all that. So I think, I think this is definitely something where young people need to get involved. And if you're trying to get to like financial freedom or whichever, it's not just Airbnb, it's not just Uber. Agriculture is literally, especially when it comes to value-added product from agriculture, that is a segment that you really need to be looking into because that's the easiest innovation that you can make.
0: Are you doing any work around that part, sort of the education, dissemination of the messaging? I know there's a young man in Trinidad called Alpha Senon who has Y Farm, and he does a lot of work around youth and agriculture. And he's got this comic book called Agri Man, and he's really um, doing a lot of advocacy to get young people into agriculture because I do think that there is a lot of value still in agriculture. Um, In the Caribbean, definitely in Africa, where the population is very youthful and it's still that that continent still hasn't reached its full agricultural development um, potential yet. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a way for um, and you don't have to come in at a a super high, like you don't have to be an engineer, um, but also demystifying the thing that you can't be educated and be in agriculture or even be even at the, the producer level, right? That you have to be an yeah. intermediary. You have to be an agro-processor. Um, and so there's a lot of people getting in around that middle stage using mm-hmm. um, tech as an enabler, creating those platforms that connect and um, connect the gaps between the fractures in, in certain value chains. But there still yes. needs to be a lot of work done on the producer side. And there are challenges and barriers to that, but it doesn't go without saying that there are definitely opportunities there that can be leveraged for young people to get into agriculture on the producer side, not just on the inputs dealer side or being an agro processor or creating a tech app that connects um, and and amplifies, but as producers anyway scene ended, yeah. I'm off my soapbox. <laughs>
1: no problem. Uh, no, but you're, 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 you're totally right. And um, for, for from our side, um, again, because you're a bootstrap venture, um, we really have to be um, somewhat um, very uh, focused in what we try to do. But at the same time, we want to have the wider impact across the community. And so a large part of our strategy in terms of what we try to do to get the message out to different um, parts of the community is like, you know, we get articles, we try to get articles out that talks about the benefit, that talks about what their common value of breadfruit can possibly be, that talks about and then working with like, you know, trees that feed. And we, we talk about like how planting a tree today can become literally your retirement tomorrow and trying to, trying to get that message out on a wider scale. And then we, we share as much of our like research that we come up with as much as possible, whether it's in our social media whether it's in just like our website or whether it's just through our partners. I meet, like I literally meet with people from all over the world, from like at this point, probably like five, six continents, um, who are talking about ways in which they could potentially find value in this thing that goes to way it's called Red Fruit. Um, and so we try to do that. Now, uh, do we have a particular initiative that's just built around um, delivering that message? We don't necessarily as yet. Um, as we grow and as we scale, a large part of what we have been working on over this past year has been really trying to figure out our production. So far now, we've really brought in a very, very strong strategic partner that we're going to be working at the scale of our, um, our chips production. And then our new products, we're also um, in negotiations right now to expand our production in those spaces. Once we have those production spaces online, our capacity is good. What we want to focus on now is really getting that message across to the wider value chain and figuring out ways how we can really bring people in to really reap a lot more of the value in the market space.
0: And I like that about, you know, really creating up using your business to create opportunities to build wealth for others along the and especially closer to the base of the supply chain. Right. Because the people upstream, they're going to get their money, you know. Um, But you talked about bootstrapping. So. Tell me a little bit more about that, um, how you've been funding the business so far, whether you have investors and what your strategy is for fundraising and growing the business in an environment where lots of startups, it seems as if their idea of validation of a great idea is how much they're able to raise in venture funding. Um, What's your strategy? Tell me how you got started and and how you are looking to, to grow this business
1: uh most definitely so in terms of a strategy for um for funding uh we're not venture-backed um uh first just to answer that part of it um and a large part of that is if you're actually building a a a company that's built around you know optimizing 3 Ps, which is like people planet, and and, um and profit uh venture-backed Fun, venture back typically focus more largely and on the actual profit side, and so you're gonna you're not gonna have as much control in terms of how you're able to impact your people and the planet. Nowadays, I think it's a little bit more like mainstream to be thinking about those that are you know people on planet side, but a lot of that can tend to be um, just, just words. <laughs> um so
0: how I got? So is it today, an intentionality you know? on your part to not go that route because you want to? ensure that you are equally allocating your um, attention to maintaining those three things, the three Ps, as you grow?
1: I would say yes, largely.
0: Um, I, I would say yes. Um,
1: and the reason I say it largely is because I, I go into different negotiations with that in mind. Um, and it, it's not just about how much money is this company going to make. It's about how much money is this company going to make while impacting positively the life of our people that are involved in the project. Um, and when you, when we do that, like, I I don't know, it's not fascinating for me to be spending, you know, 50, 75% of my time trying to figure out how to go convince uh, somebody to give me money for a project that they're just looking at to figure out, like, is this money make, does this thing make sense at the bottom line? Um, which we don't, as a leader for this, for this project, we definitely focus on the bottom line and we want to ensure that this project is sustainable, is profitable and all the decisions we make is feasible, but we we want to focus a lot more on the value we're bringing and the value from a very holistic point of view. Um, and so, if we get value-aligned investors who who have the capital and who at the same time sees the lot the larger vision of what we're trying to do, then we entertain those conversations. Then we can spend time. Then we can kind of like move forward from there. Um, and so, I have those conversations sometimes, right? Because
0: there are so- impact investors. Who are yes. and are there any that you've come across whose you know their 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 uh, investment thesis and what they stand for aligns with what you are looking to do?
1: Uh, yes, we we have been exposed to a few. Uh, like for example, our securities attorney and and um,
0: in their uh, neighborhood out there
1: in San Francisco, uh, do definitely have um, access to a wide array of like impact investors. A lot of those investors at the same time still a semi, you know, they're like a little touch above like the typical adventure but like they still have their own little like you know i, I one person reached out to me who's supposed to be um, an early state investor in food. and startup. i think
0: that is very <laughs> unfortunate and people don't talk about that enough but tell your story yeah yeah and and, and she reached out and you know and, and she's like
1: oh i heard about your project this sounds like a great idea um and then she's like asking me like why is my email address like gmail.com and why is it not you know, just show.com and, and then she's like, oh, I feel like your venture is too early. I'm like, can you give me a few metrics to define exactly why our venture is too early for what you're doing? Uh, so so hold, no up, hold up, hold up, hold up, Javion. Yeah.
0: So uh-huh. when did having like a corporate email become a metric for whether or not you're early or not? Exactly. But I think that's <laughs> the thing. <laughs> but you're exactly right. <laughs>
1: Um, but but yeah, you, you know the, the point with that is like you have to play these little games and sometimes it takes away from the effort at what you're trying to do with the company and that's why a lot of times you see a lot of these unnatural food and it started out with this great vision but at some point in time it gets lost and it just looks like everything else out there in the market space because you have to spend these time like yeah like figuring out corporate email um, you know like and it's like no the email even if I have a corporate email it's going to go to the same place. So like, I don't think that's the biggest selling point of what I'm trying to do. <laughs> um, so, sorry. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so, so with that, it's like, you have to really decide where you want to spend your space because you can end up losing your mission pretty quickly. Um, how did the, the vision get started? Like, so as I said, my background is product engineering. Um, and so I was able to like um, start out by having some savings and I really decided to plunge into the project um, with some of my own personal savings. And that's when I went to Jamaica, brought a few equipments with me. And started testing out out ways how to get the product here. And I spent a lot of my time. I resigned from my position um, back in 2019 fall and I decided to spend a lot of my time just like building out to get the first MVP, MVP meaning the uh, uh, minimum viable product. So the first product that could like get people tested on the market space. I will already had people try breadfruit chips and those were Ziploc bags. Um, and that's something interesting to, to understand, like always be willing to test your product. You don't have to go big immediately, right? Um, but then, by the time I, you know, had people try the product from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, like all of that, people were like, "Oh my God, this thing is good." I was like, "Okay, there's something here. Maybe now I can move to the next step." And so I didn't want to bring bread food out in like some cheap-looking bag and, you know, really not capture like, like that mainstream attention. And so I spent a lot of time and some capital developing, you know, the product packaging to ensure like it matches and, and do a lot of research. And then we had to, you know, being as a new product, you know, there's a lot of FDA research, a lot of USDA research figuring out how to get breadfruit. Like we literally had to build the first commercially um, supply chain of breadfruit from Jamaica to um, Colorado. <laughs> um, and so it took some effort in being able to do that. And that was mostly on my, um, on my capital. And also I had a friend of mine who tasted the product and was like, yo, I really wanted to give it a try too. So he came in and also put in some capital. Over the years, we've raised a, um, some, a little bit of money, a little bit of capital to just like kind of like help us to make really a little to the bit place. of money? Uh, so far, we've, we've raised less than fifty thousand. Um, okay.
0: Did you also yeah. tap into any grants and other resources from the state of Colorado or, or anything like that? Um,
1: yes, we tapped into a few. We tapped into a little bit of grants. Um, you know, the grant, the grant amount, I would probably say is probably less than ten thousand that we've tapped into. Um, but we've definitely tapped into a few. Um, also, did a, um, some uh, loan financing, a little bit of loan financing, um, which in essence, like start a business of loan finance with a, as an immigrant entrepreneur, it's like ridiculous numbers. <laughs> so, so there's some mistakes there uh, that needs to be overcome. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, so we really, we really had like looked into ways in which you could really raise capital and at the same time still able to have a good amount of control and a large portion of that has been. So most of the most funding so far in the project has been my personal funding. Um, uh, outside of like investment and everything. It's, it's just been a lot because I believe in this project and I see the value of this project. Um, and I do believe this project is going to be you a know, financial success, but even so, I know it's going to be a mobilizing factor in really getting people to understand the meaning of like value-added product in the agricultural space. And, and, and because of that, I really believe and I put myself behind it, um, both with my capital, with my time and with my connections, I really bring that all together to to try to make sure that this product becomes a success. And so far, you know, it's not profitable yet. So, um, you know, but at the same time, like we're seeing ways in which um, we are going to become profitable within the next, um, you know, anywhere, I would say, between the next 12 to 18 months. um, We should be able to, on a a smaller scale, we should be able to get the profitability in some some shape and also have a very relatively sustainable business and, and moving forward and focusing on growth.
0: Yeah, no, like most businesses aren't profitable out of the bat because, you know, you kind of have to, you had to literally develop the supply chain from that connection from <laughs> Jamaica to Colorado and and those things take money to do. So yeah, no, this is, this is great. Yeah, you're on a great path. So what's the future for Just Chill and Bread Foods? What should we be expecting from you? Well,
1: I think the future the future is looking pretty bright, um, especially with some of our strategic partners that we have coming on board. Um, we're also building out a team in Jamaica, um, working with a team in Jamaica that um, I think is going to really, really help us to, to move forward and also capture um, a good portion of that market. You know, we're going to be having product in that market pretty soon. Um, and then we're also like, you know, trying to work on building out a team um, or, or strategic partnerships over here um, that will allow us to also expand um, more nationally across you know, the mainland US and um, at some point, like we've had uh, one or two products in Canada, um, but we're also looking to really expand on that. And really try to do that on a a, a larger commercial scale where we can get products into these spaces. We've had interest in this product from literally like all the way from England, you know, um, Ireland. And so we want to figure out ways how we can um, get our production capacity and our supply logistics to be able to satisfy a lot of those markets. Um, and a lot of franchising opportunities, we're, we're going to be, you know, doing distribution deals um, across the different regions. So we're, we're really looking to really expand this product and make Just Chill, the brand, known um, if it's even started on breadfruit, but really built around the natural food space and become a real force in um, going forward um, in, the, in you know, the food sector and the value-added agricultural sector in the tropical regions of the world.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to seeing Just Chill products on my neighborhood supermarket shelves sometime in the near future. But in the meantime, tell us where we can find your products as we wrap up.
1: Uh, right now, uh, our products uh, are large and like We sold the chips and we're we're literally in the post of like having to restock our chips right now. Um, and as soon as those come back out, we're going to be back in Amazon. Um, right now, 123justchill.com is where we have, you know, our pancake mix is currently on the market. We're going to be releasing a dry mix here pretty soon as well. And we're going to also be releasing some additional flavors of breadfruit chips um, in, in the in short period here. So that's some very early knowledge there. Um, and so once those come online and, and we have a production um, it should dealt with, you can find us on Amazon. You can find us on Etsy. You can find us on 123drustle.com. And we're also going to be working with some distributors to get to get it to hopefully stores like your, you in the BMV area. And in the New York area, and all these other areas uh, also in, in this side of the country as well to get it off your shelves.
0: I am very, very excited. Um, I love the breadfruit, also known Thanks. as brush in Jamaica. And so <laughs> I cannot wait to be able to access it and eat it as freely as I would plantain chips or potato chips. And I am looking forward to to being able to do so through Just your brand.
1: Yeah, And, uh, and we're looking forward to, to supply that. You know, we're looking forward to be the market supplier for that. And I have to say thanks very much to the team um, in the background that's really working to make this thing happen. Like right now, as we speak, they're literally in the facility in Jamaica, like trying to figure out how to make this thing you know, work and how to get it to the right supply. Like they're doing a massive amount of work to, to get this product to you guys. So it's yes, not just Big me. up,
0: big up, big up to yeah. the team and everybody in the background yeah. doing all the good work. Yeah. Javion, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for stopping by the WTF podcast. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us for another episode. If you would like to be a guest or sponsor the podcast, please contact us at where is the funding at gmail.com. We're available on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Help us grow by subscribing, streaming, rating, download, reviewing, all that good stuff. Share your favorite episodes with your friends and your colleagues. You can find the podcast on social media at where is the funding on Instagram. And follow me, the host, Michelle J. McKenzie on LinkedIn, and join us for the next episode. Javion. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to my brush.
1: Okay. I'll have to be, I'll have to make sure that we get some out there to you in the DMV.
0: I'm looking forward to it.